I am Lisa of Two Sober Chicks, part of the dynamic duo known as Julie and Lisa, who bring you our regular podcast. This is our speaker series edition where we borrow guests from the home group AA Solution Seekers online. Please enjoy. They were like what happened and what they are like today as a result of the program of action found in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I would love to welcome Miss Melvina from Jamaica Presentation. Uh, it's my honor and pleasure to hear her speak today. Thank you so much. Got me? I got you. <laughs> you guys are really serious with your um, anonymity. That's great. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, good morning, family. I'm an alcoholic, and my name is Melvina. And um, wow, 45 minutes. <laughs> and um, first and foremost, um, i like to thank God for another day of um, sobriety and the willingness to, to still want to stay sober um, uh, at any means necessary. Um, and... Um, and just waking up and realizing that, you know, it's always the first one that'll take me right back, you know. Um, and then I want to thank Wendy for um, reaching out to me a while back and, um, and asking me to come out and, uh, and share. And I want to thank Stacy as well, because uh, Stacy, she's been very supportive as well. I want to thank you ladies and everybody here. And, and most of all, my brother, Tony B., who he, he like roots for you guys. So, you know, he's all over talking about solution speakers and us. And um, he's here this morning. I thank my Jamaica Press family uh, for coming out, him and David H. And I, those are the two I saw. Sister Betty's on a plane. She's getting ready to travel for her Thanksgiving. So, you know, but she did text me to wish me well this morning, and I'm very grateful for that. And um, okay, 45 minutes, and I'm an alcoholic. My name is Melvina. Um, my sobriety date is August 16th, 1996. I have 27 years, and um, I'm so grateful to God, you know, for another day, as mentioned, to have the willingness after 27 years and I still say this, Alcoholics Anonymous makes sense to me. It still makes sense to me. And I'm very grateful um, each and every day for that. Um, I find more now that I, um, that I truly need to be here versus uh, wanting to be here. You know, yes, I have my wanting to be here. We all have that, you know, but um, through, through life's um, ups and downs and, and, you know, with my higher power leading the way and showing me, you know, through through all my good, bads and indifferences, um, he shows me that no matter what, I don't have to drink, you know. And I'm and I'm not saying that like, you know, my life is just so hard and uh, it's none of that, you know, none of that. And miserable and sad and woe is me, it's none of that, you know. What I am saying is that um, I have been here long enough to recognize that, yes, um, as long as I live, life is going to show up, 
you know, um, whichever way it does. But what I have um, recognized today and, and truly grateful that I've gained was peace, you know, and serenity in this process. And um, and I've grown up a little bit. Now, who, who would have thunk that? You know, a little kiddish Melvina. So I got 45, you said 755? Wendy? Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> As mentioned, I was told to shut up for so long, and now I got the time to speak, and I'm, I don't have a damn uh, darn thing to say. But anyway, <laughs> I will start from the beginning and um, try to keep it as um, less complicated as possible um, and simple. And um, I was, um, and forgive me, I have allergies, family. I have plants, but I got allergies. And, um, and um, so if you see me wiping my eyes, it's, you know, um, my allergies. But um, I want to say that um, I, I, I always start off with saying that I didn't come in here to stop drinking. Um, I didn't come in here to, to um, try to do how you guys were doing this thing a day at a time. I didn't come in here for any of that. I came in here to simply slow down, slow down on the drinking, slow down a little bit, um, get up in the morning to go to work and, and do the five days that New York State hired me to do. Um, get up one time to get my kids ready for school and um, and do some things and and clean my house, you know. And and once I acquired those things, then I'll be okay. And I could go back to partying and having fun, you know. And um, and I forever tried that, and it never worked. It never ever worked. I mean, I'd, I'd have maybe one day. Um, hey, Bobby, my brother Bobby's here. <laughs> I have one day of um, of um, doing, getting up partially on time. Um, of course, the kids got to the point they were able to dress themselves and 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 get out the door to school, and um, and that wasn't good. Don't get me wrong; it's not like they put on the right clothes. My son probably had on his younger brother's pants and it was crazy. My girl's hair, you know, wasn't done, you know, whatever, or partially done. It, it wasn't, it wasn't um, a good thing, you know, and if, and if they ate breakfast, I don't know, you know, a, a pop tart or something. I don't know, you know, because um, mom was hungover or either just sleep from running back and forth in and out of the house all night long for, for, for other reasons as well. And, um, you know, I didn't come in here to um, to 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 do all those things that you lovely people were doing. I just came in here to slow down and get my life right. And um, and for me, right was do those things, and then I could go back to drinking and having fun. Um, I I was born in the '60s. Uh, my sobriety date, as mentioned, is August 16th, 1996. Um, five days prior to that is my birthday, August the 12th. Um, for all you Leos out there, shout out. And um, and um, and I turned 60 years old this year. And that lovely picture that you guys see right there, can I get back in? Okay, that's me. I, I celebrated 60 years of life um, this year, August the 12th. And that's me. I just had on a little bit of makeup. So yeah, what you see is what is. Okay. <laughs> Nothing racist, but good black don't crack. Okay. <laughs> 
God forgive me. I'm just trying to be funny. But um, I want to say that I, I didn't come in here like that. I didn't come to do those things. Um, came in here, um, you know, um, after years later, but I came to really to just slow down. So relapse is a big part of my story um, as a result of that, you know. Um, I would um, make a meeting or two and then I would go back out. Um, let me start, a, let me go back a little further and talk about my life. You know, I'm gonna try not to go back as far as when I was two, but uh, I'll keep it as simple as I can. Um, my dad, my mother was from Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. My mother, my father was from Trinidad, you know, Trinidad, Tobago. And he came from that era of children should be seen and not heard. That coupled with my father came to the United States when he was young and he joined the military. So my father served in the military. My father was Caribbean. My father was a, a strong six foot um, black man and he was tough, you know, and my father was very, very old school. Um, I'm the youngest of 10 um, and, um, and um, being the youngest of 10, um, I saw a lot of things, you know, um, um, it's only four of us left out of those 10 kids. And both of my parents are deceased as well, sadly. And, um, and some of that was due to alcohol and, and other substances as well with some of my siblings, you know. Um, and, um, you know, when I look back at that. So I'm, I say that I grew up in this family where I'll be honest with you, um, it, through all of that, my parents were loving parents. They were. They were. My father was an excellent provider. He took care of his children. When I say 10 kids, he didn't have 10 with my mother. You know, he was married a couple of times before he met my mom. And, you know, and his his result was 10 kids all together. And um, him and my mom had a nice bulk out of that 10. And, um, you know, but he kept us all together. He kept us, you know, as far as everybody had his last name, all of that. So we all knew each other as siblings. But growing up in that household, I, I have to say children should be seen and not heard. And my father was a tough um, um, uh, uh, West Indian man. He was he was that type of man that, you know, after three drinks, he would say, you know, it's my house. And if you don't like it, you can get the F out. And we used to hear that all the time. And um I remember, you know, you know, family gatherings. We had a lot of family members. I had, my grandparents had 13 kids. My, my father, I said, is uh, together and, and with my mom, they had 10. So I had a lot of family members and we did a lot of lovely, lovely things. Parties was on the top of our family list. They partied for everything, you know, um, they partied for good times, bad times, times that's, you know, whatever. But we always had a lot of um, um, family gatherings. And it was always fun. Food, fun, and, and as said, fellowshipping and family. It was food, fun, and family. And we had a great time. And I grew up in an era, like I said, I was born in the 60s, 63, in the 70s. I loved it. You know, we grew up with all the beautiful, you know, R&B music and all other kinds of music. We grew up with all those things. And I grew up in this neighborhood. I was born here in New York, Harlem, New York, to be exact, Harlem Hospital. I was raised in South Jamaica, Queens. Um, I currently live in Brooklyn. And uh, and I lived in Long Island City. That's where I raised my children, Long Island City, Queens, um, when I became an adult and with my own place. And I um, I remember growing up in that neighborhood in South Jamaica and, um, you know, 
it was that era where, you know, a lot of families were, you know, black families per se were coming from the South, migrating and coming out to um, have a better life for their families. You know, they were, they had jobs or whatever, the military men, and they were coming and moving, you know, um, to other parts of, of New York City to have a better life. And Queens was where my parents decided to get that little 8,000. They put $8,000 on a little starter home in 1968 and they raised their children there. And um, I grew up in South Jamaica. It was beautiful back then, you know. Um, it didn't turn into horrible and crack cocaine ever until many years later, but it, back then it was beautiful. It was community. Um, had friends um, in that neighborhood whose parents basically, we all came together through adversity. So our parents basically were doing the same thing. We all, most of us had big families, parents drank, whatever, whatever. And, um, you know, we all basically saw the same things, you know. So we all kind of, you know, like I said, community, schooling together, uh, neighborhood together, whatever together, you know, and I acquired these friends and, and we got together and we called ourselves the Lonely Hearts Club, you know, these friends of mine that I grew up in Jamaica with. And um, and we stuck together as friends. And, and to this day, a lot of us are no longer here, but there's still um, some of us that are um, here. And out of that bunch, guess who the one that's in recovery? Yes, me, yours truly. Everybody else was managed to, to get through their little drink or drug issue and they're good, you know, and I'm the one that, you know, out of everybody that had to go and do something. I don't feel bad about that. I thank God for that today. Um, well, um, like I said, I grew up in that. And, and I say that about my family because it was a lot of feelings behind that. You know, I share that constantly because because there was feelings in this little eight-year-old who was always told children should be seen and not heard, or not really didn't have to be told. It was that way. That was just it. You know, you knew not to say anything. So when my father had that drink and everybody was, um, you know, getting, um, having a good time, and, and next thing you know, as typical, is fights breaking out because of whoever owed money from 20 years ago or whatever, who messed around and found out somebody slept with somebody's husband or wife, whatever. And things happened, you know? So um, we were the ones that when we were home, my, my mother would run us upstairs to get out of everybody's way, or we'd be putting on coats and grabbing our plates and leaving. And I saw this guys, you guys, and, and I, and, and, and folks, and I, I always remembered in my head saying, I will never do that with my children. I will never be that way with my husband. I will never treat, you know, my family members like that, you know, because it was, it was painful. Um, it would start out great and ended up with somebody's cut, somebody. And it's funny. How come the police was never there? It was always where we didn't have that. We didn't have no cops coming, nothing. If you saw a cop coming, it was serious. But most of the time, everybody got drunk, they fought and went on home. And the next week or whenever they started, or next month, they did it all over again. And that's usually how it usually went. And um, life went on, you know, um, growing up. And, and, and I'm not going to say my family, my household was bad. It wasn't. Yes, my father was emotionally and physically abusive towards my mom. I'm not going to leave that out. But when they weren't drinking and when the home was good, we were good. We were good. You know, um, 
my mom was uh, one of the, the first black women in her family that, that acquired a, a college degree. So when she came to New York, she had some, some intelligence and she was able to acquire a good job. And um, my father, like said, he was in the military. So, you know, he started his own business when he got out. And that's how they were able to take care of their family and buy a home, you know. And so we grew up on those principles of education, you know, working and education and, and of course, religion. Through all of that, you know, um, we were raised on those principles. So I'm grateful for that as well. And, um, you know, when, when I said we were, you know, seeing those things, I still knew deep down inside my parents were loving parents. They meant well, but things happened. So growing up and moving on into, you know, years later, I, and I'm going to get to the drink part because I know I'm giving y'all a whole synopsis of my family. And so um, I um, said, you know, I, 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 um, I remember growing up with these friends and um, because of the situations that was happening in our household, um, it kind of drew us together. Coupled with we, a lot of us went to school together and we became teenagers. So like I said, moving right along, um, my mom passes away. My mom passed away like two days before my 17th birthday. Uh, my mom caught a cold and she went in the hospital. It turns out at 47 years old, my mother died of walking pneumonia, you know? Um, and on my birthday, I was on a plane going down south for my mother's funeral. And I remember looking out the window and being so angry with God, because it was like, why did you take her of all people in this world? And God, forgive me, I did say, why didn't you take him? Why you take her? You know, she was the gentle one, you know? And, um, and I love my mom. She was a great, great mother, you know, um, and a beautiful mother. And, um, and a beautiful looking woman. That's another thing, you know. And um, I didn't understand that. But I do know these friends that I grew up with in the neighborhood, we used to have a lot of fun. Growing up in the, in the 70s, and now that was 1980 when my mother passed away, um, the birth of rap and hip hop and all of that was hitting the scenes. We were uh, kids in the neighborhood that, that um, were into music, you know, into clothes into dressing, into going places, into doing things. And, um, you know, we had little summer jobs, you know, we had things like that going on. And, um, and we also had alcohol. That was where it started, you know. And um, I remember going to my mother's funeral and coming back from that, that um, funeral. I, I don't even unpack, unpack, threw my stuff in the room. Um, and changed my clothes and I ran right around the corner to my friends who were all hanging out on the stoop. And, and um, they were glad to see me and I was glad to see them. And the first thing I said was, give me a drink, give me a drink, you know? And, and mind you, I'm 17 years old, you know? And um, <laughs> they had it, they had everything, you know? And we did that. And I remember getting so drunk that night and being so pissed and hurt and everything that my friends had to end up carrying me home. Now, that carried on where I always got so drunk and so whatever to where my friends ended up having to carry me home um, or carry me somewhere. And 
out of the bunch, I, like I said, I was only one that ended up in AA. I was getting carried home. Growing up in that era, we did the, the um, those rappers that were free in the parks and all of that. They became where they were famous, and we started having to pay for seeing them. Now a lot of them that are here today are legends <laughs> as a result of that. And um, we used to go to all of those um, those clubs. And I, I became, I love partying. I love parties. I became that club hopper, that, that disco era, that all of that, just having a good time. And with all of that came alcohol. And when I would go to these parties with my friends, I would drink. I would always be excessive. One would be saying to the other, I thought you was watching her. Why aren't you keeping an eye? I always had a chaperone, a babysitter. Somebody was always there and always reprimanding me and saying, okay, Melvina, this time when we go out, you're not going to do this. You're not going to, and I'm steady with it. Like, yes, yes, yes. And do my best to listen. But it was always somebody else in the corner that was like, you know, and I end up in the bathroom with, with drinking or whatever and doing other things. So that carried on for a while. And then, you know, life changes took place as we got older. Um, I love going to the clubs. I need to throw that in. I was a Paradise Garage uh, member. I was, uh, uh, for the New Yorkers that know about that, and the ones that don't, that you know, know about Paradise Garage, and I was in all of them. I was in Bentleys. I was in uh, uh, Red Parrot. I was in uh, uh, Palladium. I was in all of those places. I loved hanging out and love being with my friends and love drinking. So as mentioned, I had had this thing within me that I would never carry on the way I did with the way my parents did, but I always was the one that got really fired up. So I went and, um, you know, I, we all grew up, life changes. We met, you know, mates and whatnot. And we started having families, getting married. Everybody was doing what they were doing. And, um, and I met a gentleman who came home from the military. He was home on leave. And um, he, began, he ended up becoming the father of my children. And we stayed together for a while, you know. Um, and uh, we had a family together. And we got this apartment out from moving out of Jamaica, Queens, into um, Long Island City. And like I said to you all, that the way I, was, I saw things as a child growing up in my home, um, and how I was not going to be, I was that and then some in my household, you know, I, um, still drank and God blessed me. He was still blessing me. I got the apartment and, and, and I, I got a job with the state of New York. I got an apartment. I, I, this beautiful young man coming home from the military, he got a good job after the military. We were doing things and we were all right, but I could not stop doing what I was doing. And my thing was alcohol. It was alcohol. I, um, you know, I, I had carried all of Melvina into that relationship, you know, into those, into that household. And I did that. Um, and I remember raising my kids, you know, and, and love, loving, love my children. My sister passed away, uh, the year that I moved into that apartment and, and, um, my ex-husband and I, we raised, we raised our, um, we raised those two children together with our children. And, um, you know, I was the one that was always, you know, you know, mommy be back. 
you know, I would go to the store. The next thing you know, it's two days later, here I come, you know, coming back from wherever. And that carried on for a little while. I was missing days from work. I was, um, I was not showing up and this was all due to my drinking, you know, and it was all due to, you know, the fact that, um, my inability to recognize that I was an alcoholic, you know, um, I was having issues with my, um, my family members. My father was still alive. My father lived for 19 years after my mother. He passed away when I was 36 years old. And um, so he was still alive at this time. And it was a lot of things that was going on. And, you know, those friends that I had gravitated from and got into my own place, I met new friends in the projects. They were doing exactly what I was doing. It was fun hanging out with them. But the one thing I noticed for me was um, they were able to go to bed. They were able to say, okay, the party's over. They were able to say, okay, Mel, take care, good night. And I was still the one running around in the street, you know, and I was still the one not ready to leave and I was still the one drinking. And so I remember, you know, my kid's father said to me, he said, Mel, you know, why are you always in and out of other people's homes when you have your own home? Why is it that you cannot grasp the concept that if you want to do what you're doing, why not do it in your own house? Why you got to be all over the street and you got a house full of kids? He says, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take these kids from you. We're going to leave you and you're going to be sitting here by yourself and nobody, I'm not paying no rent, no nothing. And, um, and that kind of woke me up. So I tried my best to stay home. I remember watching uh, back in those days, those commercials, this is your brain on and have you had enough? And a lot of times, because of the fact that I was so caught up in the grips, coupled with the fact that, you know, on the on the outside, I had things. I had a car, I had a nice place, I had a good job, I had things. And I just couldn't see that there was a problem. And that's what I kept associating my disease with, was my alcoholism with, was, oh, please, I don't have a problem. I got things going on. So here it is. I remembered one morning, because now it's... um almost two weeks and I hadn't been to work. And um, and I was running out of excuses. And I wasn't the type dying off my family. Oh, I just died. That was, I wasn't doing that because people were actually dying in my family. And, and not only that, I couldn't see me doing things like that, you know, but I do know that I had to make up something. And, um, and I told them I had a nervous breakdown and I couldn't. Um, I had an alcoholic breakdown. That was the problem. I just couldn't get out of the house. And I remember that 800 number. And I remember going into that first detox. And I remember, you know, the gentleman asking me, did I have a problem with alcohol? And I remember saying, no, I don't, you know. And I remember the guy looking me square in the face. And he, he didn't say it, but he wanted to look at me and say, you're a liar. And he said to me, I got a bed for you. So he signed me up anyway. I went in there. I could not identify. I couldn't identify because, again, I had things. I had nice things. When we dress up the outside, we don't know what's going on on the inside, you know? So <clears throat> here it is. After doing the detox shuffle for quite some time, one of the things I recognize is a little bit of AA was always stuck inside of me. Every time I went from one detox to another, to another, to another. I remember going to work and the manager said to me, thank God this is civil service, or you've been gone a long time ago. Um, so they reassigned me. 
And I used to think, oh, they don't like me because I'm black. They don't like me because I'm a woman. They don't like me. They didn't like me because I wasn't showing up. That's what it was. You know, they didn't like that, you know, and they loved me as a person because they said, you're beautiful, but the hell, you don't come to work, you know? And I remembered, you know, seeing all these things happening in my life. And I remember um, having all these uh, issues going on with, with, with my family members because now I'm owing people money. I'm owing, um, you know, I'm making up lies and, you know, sold off or pawned a lot of things that was, was purchased for me, you know, by my other half. And he would ask me, where's the gold ring I bought you? You know, a lot of things, you know, I, I make up lies. And the real deal is I was selling them because I needed money. You know, I was pawning them off because I was doing things. But anyway, I saw this commercial. I did the detox shuffle. And, um, and I recognized that um, there was a big problem in my life, especially since I wasn't going to work. Um, and I was, remember being on my knees in the middle of my living room floor. And I was crying to God, please help me, please. Cause I don't know what to do with me anymore. Anytime you, I walk in my home and my kids are starting to leave the room and the dog is leaving the room and, and my other half is dressing the kids and they're all going outside and I'm finding, including the dog, I'm in the house by myself. Something is really wrong. And I remembered, you know, um, talking to one of my neighbors down the hall and God bless her. And she, she's still here, but God bless her heart that she recognized I had a problem because she was the one that helped the babysit my kids when I ran out and left them, you know, in the house. She would just bring them to her house. So ACS wouldn't get involved. And um, she said, come to my house. You know, I'm, I'm having a spiritual event going on. And I did. So I met this sister there. And um, I heard her, what was really her sharing her experience, strength, and hope. And I was so intrigued by this woman because she was telling a story that was actually my story. And um, I asked her for her phone number. And I held that lady's number for about three months. Didn't call or nothing because I wasn't ready to surrender. And one night I saw her. I was actually on my way to the store to get me a 40 ounce of beer. I'm not going to lie. And she was like, where are you going? Come on. You know, I was like, nah, I got things to do. I had goods waiting for me upstairs and I just needed a beer to wash it down. So, you know, she said, you, you got a babysitter? And I said, yeah, I could get somebody. She said, come make a meeting with me. Now, mind you, I was doing all these detoxes, came out and kept doing the same old thing. I made this meeting and, um, Yes, this brother is on here tonight, and I know he gets tired of hearing my story, but I got to share it because it's a part of my story. Miss B was on one side, and Tony B was on the other side, walking me into my first AA meeting outside of detox because I was shaking like a leaf. And I remember him saying, just trust, trust the process. Just trust the process. You're going to be okay. You guys were shining like brand new pennies. I was loving it, but I was also very fearful. I was also realizing that I had messed up my life so bad and I did not know what to do with myself that was this really going to work for me? You know, 
because my comfortability, to be honest with you, was in drinking. Anytime I went through something, pour me a drink. Anytime something good was going on, pour me a drink. Anytime I didn't know what the heck to do with the situation, it was pour me a drink. So when you all were saying, listen, it's the first one that gets you in trouble. I was like, what? It's the first one that keeps me going. I didn't understand that, you know? So I came in here and I was listening to you folks and you were sharing your, your um, experience, strength and hopes of how you stayed sober. And you presented these 12 steps and 12 traditions. And first and foremost, yes, I believe in God. But when I saw that um, the 12 and 12 was talking about something else, I was like, wait a minute. Y'all getting a little too deep now. I can't, and I can't. Nah, 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 you know. And um, I remember my first sponsor, God rest her soul. She said, baby, give yourself a break. Just give yourself a break. And, and I remember, you know, here and again, just trust the process. So I, I would love to tell you guys on the first go round, I did it, I stayed, and here I am. No, even after making meetings, Relapse was still a part of my story, and I um, and I, I I couldn't get it until one day I was sleeping. I I went to my sister's house, and I remember falling asleep in my little niece's bed. She's a grown woman now, and she used to have those Barbie beds. You remember the the little beautiful? And I this bed is no more than like four feet long, three feet maybe, three feet. And I fell asleep in my niece's bed. I remember. God rest his soul too, hearing Dr. Charles Stanley. My head was like, like an anvil was laying on top of it and I couldn't hold my head up. And I remember trying to wake up and I couldn't open my eyes. And I remember hearing Dr. Stanley say on TV, have you had enough? Have you had enough? And that's that woke me up, man. And, and, and I remember realizing then I could not drink anymore or I was going to die. I was already going through health issues. You know, I always suffered from respiratory problems. And I remember going back and forth to the doctor and the doctors were saying, Miss Anthony, if you keep drinking, your children are going to be motherless and doing other substances. They're going to be motherless because your lungs are starting to go bad, you know? So I remember these things. And I, I came back to that, that meeting. I called that sister again. And I went with her that night. And we made a meeting together. And I remember, um, you know, seeing how you guys were doing. And I remember taking the time to listen, to listen to what you all were actually saying and how, how you were doing this thing a day at a time to stay sober. And what was presented to me was to work the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I could show up to the meetings. I can get um, fancy and get all caught up in the conventions and this and that. But what I learned is that I had to work this program in order to truly, truly, truly um, recognize that I needed to stay sober. And, and with starters that came with believing in that God of my understanding, you know, um, I always believed in a higher power, love God. And I truly believe God loved me. My sponsor told me 
you were not a bad person and God recognized that. You just did some bad things and your blessing is being placed in these seats to do this thing right and get your life back on track because God has something for you that he needs you to pass on to the next person. But you gotta stay. You gotta wanna stay here. And, and I did, you know, I wanted it, man. That's that religious side and getting back into the higher power of, of uh, my understanding helped me to better recognize the spiritual aspect of how you guys were doing this thing and how that spiritual connection was going around in the rooms a day at a time and how you guys were still showing up in spite of whatever you were going through, you know? And I wanted that because even through that, you guys were staying sober and finding peace and serenity in your life. Um, it's one thing to be sober, clean, but being serene is something that I recognize I needed, you know, in order to do this thing. And I kept doing, I showed up and I showed up and I got into this work and I realized that Melvina wasn't as angelic and whatever as she thought she was. She was a little bitch, you know? I realized that she was a troublemaker. She had all these issues and it was a lot of work to be done. So I got into here and I know I'm winding down with this time and I want to read. Can I read something, Wendy? It's very brief. It's on page 52 in, um, in the big book, because this was what was happening to me when we had to act. We had to ask ourselves, why shouldn't we apply our human problems uh, the same the same readiness to change our point of view? We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our, our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight? Of course it was. When we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. Man, oh man. I had to just learn how to lean on the God of my understanding. Work the 12 and 12. Learn Melvina from the inside out. It was cute to dress up on the outside. But once I recognized that there was a story, it made my, my spiritual dad, Jerry V, uh, rest in peace. He said to me, don't you know you got a story to share? You've got a story to tell. So we need you to stay here so that you can pass that story on to the next sick and suffering. And they can pass it on to the next sick and suffering. That's how AA goes around and around and around. Um, his wife used to tell me who took me through the 12 and 12, and I still say it. She said, honey, you have to learn to come in here and share your truth. Share your truth. Share the truth through the program. Don't give them your stuff, because when you start giving them your stuff, that's not going to work to help anybody stay sober. And what you will become is a spiritual cancer 
to the person sitting next to you trying to get sober. So get in here, work that program, learn from the inside out, and above all, trust God. And trust me, a day at a time, you will learn to stay sober. So from that day to this day, like I said, which has been 27 years of, of a blessed, blessed journey, in spite of whatever, um, I've um, managed to continuously um, have the willingness to show up. Those beautiful children are all grown up now. I raised five of them. And um, they made me a grandma. I have eight grandkids. Oh, I love it. I'm going to have one of them with me next week. The newest one. He's a year old. Um, I went back to school in this process. I got four minutes. I went back to school in this process because I was on my job. That job. Oh, my God, y'all. The job. I work for the state of New York. I'm under, and I'll tell it, I work under Social Security Administration, right, with the state of New York. And remember, the guy told me, the manager said, you know, if this was civil service, you've been going a long time ago. Yeah, all of that came to. Well, it's been 36 years that I've been on that job and I can retire. I can re I can retire now if I want to, but I, I just got a promotion. <laughs> so I'm not going to retire. I went back to school um, in, in the process. The state paid for my first degree, which was an associate's degree. And I'm saying this because it's not a big deal. It's the beautiful benefits and blessings that I recognize God had for me. The state paid for that little cute associate's degree. I said, it's laying down on the couch right now over there. I got to go get it. And, um, and then I got a bachelor's degree. And then I went back and I said, wow, this is awesome. And then I went to graduate school, you know, and um, took those things, learned some stuff. Okay, education is cute and all that, but through all of that, I had to learn how to stay sober, and I continuously did that. And um, I say all that to say today, and especially to the newcomer, we can have all these beautiful things in life. And yes, if you continue to show up, those beautiful blessings will come your way. But first and foremost, sobriety has to be number one. God first, and then your sobriety. Actually, God, your higher power first, and then your sobriety. And then you, so that you can learn how to give back to others. And I had to keep that going. My first thing was my higher power, me, and my recovery process, and learning how to uh, be, um, to be, uh, um, I felt lost for words after all that talking, how to be a help to the next individual, you know, how to look out for that person that is sick and suffering and um, how to still be a member. And I do commitments in AA. I love commitments. I love on the group level. I love working with others. I have sponsees. Yes, I do. I love my sponsees and they love me. And I'm very grateful for that. And, um, you know, I learned that, you know, no matter what it is, whatever we go through, um, what we do need to do is remember that if we are not hungry for AA, no matter what kind of time you have, then you need to go back to that big book, get on your knees and ask the God you understand and to show you. And most of all, call your sponsor and see what's happening with yourself because AA does work. Oh. And that was another fantastic speaker from AA Solution Seekers online group. Thank you so much for joining us as we continue to bring you great speaker 
one after another from Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Lisa. Thanks for joining us.